Hello and welcome to episode 5, chapter 4 of the Jordan's Pathway podcast. Jordan's Pathway is the true life story of Jordan, a boy diagnosed with autism. It's a book written by his grandmother Caroline Frankie and Roland Bush Cavell, and I'm your host, Roland Bush Cavell. This podcast is a chapter by chapter reading of Jordan's Pathway. We hope you enjoy it, and if you require further information, please do either visit jordanspathway.co.uk or Amazon, where Jordan's Pathway is available in paperback and in Kindle versions. This is Jordan's story. Chapter 4. A Clinical Diagnosis With all the problems we had encountered with Jordan since the day of his birth, our focus had been on the day-to-day trials of caring for him something that absorbed our attention around the clock. We were so immersed in merely coping and addressing his medical issues that it was only when he was a year old and his operation was behind him that we started to address a growing suspicion that all was not well and that there was some other underlying cause for the behaviour we were witnessing. At the same time, we hoped and thought his problems were over. After all, the constant screaming and crying abated and he was far more settled than himself. But with these behaviours reducing, it became apparent that Jordan was not responsive and more and more obvious that something was amiss. Other signs were appearing. He would not respond to his name and he would not make eye contact or point to objects as other children might. Brian was working both during the day and several nights a week to ensure his family was supported and all the while Lisa was busy trying to cope with the demands of a son that needed constant attention. Doing everything we could for Jordan and giving him the care he needed meant a huge strain on all our lives, with a 24-hour struggle to meet his needs. There are emotional strains too for Brian and Lisa, and as a grandmother, your instinct is to comfort a crying child. Yet when Jordan cried and we attempted to cuddle or hug him, he would struggle against the physical contact. We later learned that his aversion to physical contact is common to many autistic children. For Jordan, in particular, it was uncomfortable a seeming invasion of his privacy that he could not relate to. He did not understand the concept of a hug or a cuddle, or even a handshake. It had no meaning for him, because he could not relate to his own emotions. He perceived no need within himself to have the kind of closeness a hug conveys, and he did not relate to it as a display of affection, because affection was initially alien to his world. Nowadays we have progressed, and Jordan can relate to the word love and accommodates our need by hugging Lisa or Brian or me because he knows it pleases us. Over the years, we have built trust with Jordan, never lying to him or making empty promises, as these things are very important in his world. In recent months, this has developed more, and I believe Jordan truly has an awareness and a level of comprehension of our love and loyalty for him. When Jordan was young, awareness of autism was much less widespread than it is today. At that time, I was not even familiar with the word autism, nor knew what it meant, and as a result, we had nothing to inform us other than knowing that all was not well. We were busy coping. Lisa and Brian were trying to make a life for themselves, and we all had to put our aspirations on hold while we put all our effort into helping Jordan. It was my having taken time to observe Jordan that convinced me there was something more to his behaviour. There was quite obviously a lack of response to outside stimuli. He would not respond to his name or any request, such as asking him to pick up a toy. No interaction at all. I raised this with Lisa and we agreed that something had to be done. Spurred on by our intuition and worried by the abnormalities that his development was not progressing as it should, we went to the doctor. 
and thereafter to a series of health professionals looking for answers. Initially, it was suggested that Jordan might have hearing difficulties, but after a series of tests, we had not heard anything conclusive, other than that Jordan's hearing was perfectly okay, but that he did not always respond. In one particular test, a very loud bang made behind his head elicited no response nor curiosity on his part. Yet a very small bell rung behind him made him immediately turn round, because something about the noise interested him. Perhaps it reminded him of a toy tambourine we often shook for him at home. In any event, we knew he could hear, but that sometimes he ignored what he heard. An autistic child's senses are wide open, and yet, at the same time, the child is not always responsive. This is why you could literally shout right behind Jordan's head and not receive a flicker of recognition. He would hear you, but what he was hearing was so totally irrelevant to his mind that there would not be a glimmer of a reaction. Gradually, at the same time as we put away suspicions of an underlying issue with Jordan's hearing, I still knew that Jordan's behaviour did not match up to any child of mine or of friends that I knew. Something was most definitely wrong. And again, I had a certainty within me that there was something else, an underlying cause for his unusual behaviour. I knew we had to continue to push for medical advice if we were to find the root cause. Throughout the following year, we took Jordan to see various health professionals. Each of them agreed that there were indications of an underlying issue, but at that point, none of them could tell us what that issue was. Finally, after just over 12 months full of tests and assessments, when Jordan was two years and four months old, Lisa and I drove in my car to the local child development centre. Brian, who dearly wanted to be with us, had no option other than to be at work that day. I can remember it was a clear morning and there was a feeling of dread. We did not know what we might hear and so Lisa and I were very quiet, respecting each other's feelings and nervous of what lay ahead. We did not know the potential outcome. We had no clue as to what it might be, but we were also trying not to think the worst. We had some thoughts that perhaps he was slightly delayed in his development, possibly because of the kidney problems. Yet we truly had no idea, and at that stage, neither of us had even heard of autism. We weren't in denial, but it was a very tempting prospect to imagine that his problems all originated from the kidney abnormalities. We were desperately hoping that there were no more health issues and nothing mentally wrong with him. So we drove to the clean, very well-kept centre, parked and walked as a little trio into the reception area. Myself and Lisa, either side of Jordan, with his hand gripped firmly in hers to ensure he did not run away. Once there, our route was clear, and there were no other children or parents waiting, and I distinctly remember there being no queue because I felt a strong sense of relief, as having to queue or spend too long standing still would trigger the usual frustrations from Jordan. We were guided by the staff into a very large, clean room and we sat in the neat little plastic chairs and waited with Jordan at a table. It was obviously a room designed for children as we were surrounded by brightly coloured toys and activity games. The whole place was full of them. The doctor walked into the room and greeted us politely. I can remember to this day what a lovely manner she had and how she was so obviously a very kind and caring lady as she tried her best to put us at ease. At that moment, I was so very glad that I had accompanied my daughter knowing that the close relationship and love we have for each other would help her to withstand whatever news we were to hear, and that together we were strong enough to deal with the doctor's diagnosis, whatever it might be. We discussed a few preliminary issues with the doctor, and all the while 
Jordan was busying himself with licking the walls of the room, oblivious to our conversation and to just about everything else going on around him. At that moment, I was praying he would act normally, not to act strangely in front of the doctor. Otherwise, it might somehow adversely influence her diagnosis. Of course, I knew that it was too late for anything of the kind. It was merely that Lisa had already suffered enough pain, and I desperately wished that she had no more in her life, so I prayed. There was a pause in the conversation. The doctor had obviously taken the time to read Jordan's notes before we arrived, and there was this moment when she gave Jordan a long, praising gaze. My heart was thumping in my chest. I wanted to take Lisa's hand and take all emotional pain from her to make everything okay. I myself was overcome. I sat there on the verge of crying because I knew this was a life-changing moment. The doctor looked directly at both of us in turn, a deep, penetrating stare. Then my life stood still as she rose from her chair. With some deliberation, she walked to a cupboard that covered the entire wall. My eyes followed her every movement. At the time, I was beginning to feel the very first signs of panic inside. Reaching into the shelves, I thought she was going to get some kind of test, some medical device that would aid her investigation. Or perhaps worse, a book that told us just what was going wrong with Jordan, detailing the nature of his problems. Instead, she returned to where we sat, holding in her hand a very large box of man-sized tissues. Again, she met my gaze, and I was filled with dread and fear, as all I could see in her features was tremendous concern. She sat down with a very serious demeanour and I could tell that we were in for some devastating news. The situation was becoming surreal. At some level, I could tell the doctor had been trying to gauge whether we were emotionally strong enough to cope with the news she had to impart. She remained earnest but extremely kind and sympathetic and I could see that she found it very difficult to tell us what she knew. My instinct was to run, to flee the room and not come back. I can remember her next words to this day. I am sorry to have to tell you that Jordan has autism, spectrum disorder, and that we do not yet know the severity of his problem. The news washed over us like a wave, but even when it engulfed us, we still had no idea of its importance. I did not know what autism was, and neither did Lisa. Of course, we were full of questions. What is autism? We asked what it would mean for Jordan's future and how we could deal with it. The answer from the doctor was clear. Autism would be with Jordan for the rest of his life. Its very nature was such that, although she could not say exactly how much he could develop, he would always be limited in what he achieved. The nature of his special needs and his position on the autistic spectrum meant that he would always be dependent upon others and that he had little hope of living a so-called normal life as we understood it. There was no magic wand that could be waved, just the promise of a future full of autism. At last we had our answer. The wave had broken upon us, and even though it had passed, we still did not truly know what it meant. The doctor had delivered the diagnosis as though she was dropping a cannonball at our feet, one that Lisa and I were to lift and carry out of the room with us. We were both stunned and felt as though the weight of the world had fallen upon our shoulders. There had been no indication from the medical profession up until this time that autism was what we were dealing with. While we now knew what was causing his problems... We were both at once devastated and confused. We did not know what happened next or what we should be doing. Emotionally numbed by the fear of facing an uncertain future, Lisa and I gathered up Jordan and the reading material we'd been given and left the centre knowing that our lives had now officially changed forever. In one way, I believe our amusement was partly because no matter what the diagnosis in this day and age, we all expect there to be at least some form of treatment or therapy that holds the answers. Subconsciously, 
I feel we were waiting for the doctor to outline a course, a treatment plan, or anything that offered us a glimmer of hope. The absence of any of this, alongside what was very clearly genuine concern, made it worse. We could tell the doctor was a deeply caring person, but the fact that she could still offer no help or answers meant that they probably did not exist. So instead of being an illumination of our problems, a clue as what to do next, the diagnosis felt like a sentence upon our heads. Yet we remained ignorant as to its true meaning and the importance of what we had just been told. All we knew was that it was bad. It had little hope of getting better and it would remain with Jordan for as long as he lived. Lisa, with a heavy heart, immediately called Brian, who was desperate to hear the news. and He met it with the same perplexed shock we all now felt. As we left, still in turmoil, I spoke quietly to Lisa. All we can do is our very best for Jordan. Lisa, clearly still numb from the impact, slowly nodded her head. I can honestly say that we have kept that promise from that day to this. This concludes chapter four of Jordan's Pathway, a true life story of one boy's journey with autism. Please listen out for our next podcast episode where we bring you chapter five, learning difficulties. And if you're enjoying Jordan's Pathway, please find us on Amazon where the full version of the book is available in Kindle or paperback delivered straight to your door. In the meantime, this is your host, Roland Bushcavell, wishing you a very good pathway.